passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. At that time, I believe I was in about my 33rd year of big league baseball, maybe 34th. And let's face it, you get into your fourth decade uh, of doing anything and you think, is this ever going to happen? And Ronnie, I'm thinking about all the unbelievable fans the Cubs have, the ones that are both with us still and the ones that are no longer with us. Very emotional moment. Welcome back to The Run from Odyssey and Major League Baseball. I am Matt Spiegel, and that yes. is Roy Wood Jr. Yes, I am. That is you, my name. Right? I nailed it. I mean, it took like four episodes, but I feel really good about the name part. That means chemistry <laughs> is developing, <laughs> I think. Yo, later in the show, we're going to be joined by the legendary Cubs play-by-play announcer, Pat Hughes. The, he's had a front row seat to so much pain. <laughs> so much pain. You know You know what really sucks about being a play-by-play announcer when you're emotionally invested in the team? You have to put your pain aside to tell people what's happening, to give them pain, and then process your own pain while somehow still keeping people informed. You're just a vessel, right? You're yeah. just a vessel for human emotion. At, at its best, you're getting it across with, with words and inflection and such. But to that same point, when you taste victory, uh-huh. you can feel it with that broadcaster, and it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you hear him make that call. And I cannot wait to talk to Brother Pat about what it was like. Yes, sir. Uh, we are back into the middle of the run, having gone through the San Francisco series. But now here we stand, the National League Championship Series 2016. It is the Los Angeles Dodgers against the Cubs. Saturday, the 15th of October, two games at Wrigley Field. And the Cubs, Roy, are hosting the Dodgers with a chance to go to their first World Series since 1945. 
Now, the Cubs ended up winning this series in six games, but it was a roller coaster. There were no gimmies whatsoever. Um, Here's a little piece of Roy Wood Jr.'s Cubs trivia that you may not be interested in that I'm going to tell you anyway. Game one, Dodgers series, I couldn't find any goat to eat. Like I was trying to like, like it's the middle of the election and, you know, the Daily Show where they got us zipping and zapping all over the place. And I'm in a very small town covering some election stuff. Goat isn't just on the menu everywhere. But lamb is. And I go, Close that's enough. the closest thing. Closest <laughs> thing to a goat. That's the goat's homeboy. So I'm going to eat lamb tonight. And that was my idea of like trying to consume the curse. That was like my little stupid superstition. And the Cubs end up winning game one. <laughs> so then I started eating lamb <laughs> every game. I was so sick of lamb. Oh, that is outstanding. Um, If people didn't hear episode one, it explains the curse of the billy goat. And twice in history have Cub fans gone and found a goat and killed it and strung it across the Harry Carey statue right there in front of Wrigley Field. That is some savage outrageous stuff that you probably would have wanted to do again right here on the 15th of October before that NLCS began. One where more was your, where, you keep asking me about mine, where was your goto meter going into the Dodgers series? How nervous were you? Man, Because I, I, I know as a member of the media, I must <laughs> abstain from having emotions because I should just report. Stop lying. What Dude, did you feel, I, Matt? I got cocky. I got super duper cocky. During the course of the regular season, a little bit, it slowly built, and then that Giants series, and really the Aroldis Chapman thing, just his entire existence threw me for a loop, and it was all leading up to this moment in Game 7 where I cursed everything and thought that the entire world was coming crashing down yet again. (laughs) But until we got there, I was feeling it. I was like, let's go, baby, and I'm going to cover a World Series at Wrigley Field in this town. So my gotometer... You know, 10 being peak belief in curses and everything. My personal gotometer was about like a four. You have said that the resting level of the gotometer is about a six for you. Is that where you were as the series began? Hell yeah, it was at a six because it's still Clayton Kershaw and you know you're going to have to face him twice and then probably out the bullpen in game seven if it goes seven. And, you know, you start looking at the arms and... It's hard to see a way around. It's like in my head, you know you have to steal one from Kershaw. If you can't do that, you're not going to beat the Dodgers in seven. And so that was, to me, that's really what it came down to going into game one. But game one at least started on a positive note because you get Fowler on and then Bryant doubles him in. And you can at least feel like, okay, okay, we're still a good baseball team that knows how to hit the ball. Yeah, because they got Clayton Kershaw, but we got John Lester. Strikeout. And a big out for Lester. Who is a World Series killer, a playoff killer. Strikeout number four for Lester. Here to do a job. And he starts. He was good. He gave up one run. And Lester is struck out five. Chapman came in in the eighth inning again. Eighth inning again. (laughs) Gave up a two-run single to tie it at three. And the shadow is looming. (laughs) But, like, winning game one... Ed Wrigley, that felt good. That's caught by Ed Rizzo. This game is over. Cubs win it. 8-4.
but there's still I don't, and I'll be honest, you know, and I know we we try not to at least I try not to bring up this brother's name to give him the freedom to live, you know, a free life in this world. But there was still the shadow of Bartman because we were up on the Marlins in in the NLCS in 03. So when you talk about is this the year, I still don't have that confirmation yet, even though we took game one. It, and it's it's this weird conflict because the Cubs were rolling. That was fun and exhilarating, that game. And you're up one nothing in the NLCS. But you've still got that lingering stuff in the back of the mind that Roy's talking about. Game two is at Wrigley on a Sunday night. And the Dodgers beat the Cubs one nothing. This is your Kershaw game that you felt coming. He was great. Two Kenley hitter. Jansen got two innings. Two and- what a job by Clayton Kershaw. He's not allowed a run. 10 career games at Wrigley. Brings home an 0-2. Struck him out. This is no different than than the Cueto game, than the Cueto-Lester game with the Giants in the previous round, where it's just who's going to blink first. And Hendricks gave up one, you know, one bad ball and only gave up three hits. So it, it still ended up being one of those close games. But again, you got to beat Kershaw. It's the only way you're getting out of this round, dog. Cubs go to L.A., game three at Dodger Stadium on a Tuesday night, and the Dodgers win 6 nothing. Jake Arrieta gets beaten up, and this is really, really low for me. And in this town, Roy, Dodgers up 2-1. to one. It's over. It's fun. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> Gotometer up to like an 8. World yeah. Series confidence down to like a 3. They're okay. going to blow it again. Okay, so now... Now, same question, but in reverse. You, you, you asked me. You asked me in a previous episode. Well, who who could drink for free in this town after beating the giant? Who cannot show their face in this town now? Anthony Rizzo, where is your one. bat? Rizzo, where is your bat? <laughs> Zobrist, where is your bat? Addison Russell, what are you thinking? What what are you thinking? You've done nothing. Those three guys were awful to this point offensively and you're down 2-1 you're not toast but you're like 3-1 is toast you know so down 2-1 you're like on the edge of toast and and you don't want to get to the middle of the toast And also, this is back-to-back shutouts, and which is the first time the Dodgers had done this as an organization in postseason history. So you've gone two games without scoring a run. You can't feel good. Godometer up to an eight. Here's what I really loved about the Cubs and the Dodgers. There was a Hollywood element to it that generally you don't see at a lot of Dodger games for the road team. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, there's plenty of Homer Dodger fans that are celebs. It's no different than Nicholson and all the courtside Laker fans and all of that stuff. But you're watching the Cubs play in Dodger Stadium, and it's as many celebrity Cub fans as there are celebrity Dodger fans. You got Vince Vaughn out there hanging out. You got Jeff Garland, Jeremy Pivens popping up his head everywhere. Like, it's – I guess what I'm trying to say is why wasn't I invited? Hollywood – I've been on cable for 20 years now. I think I'm I'm doing invite to the Dodger Stadium suite. Come on, man. I wore a funky bathrobe to Game 7. Didn't even wash it out of a sense of superstition. See, Roy, if they go back to another World Series, you're getting that invite. 
You're gonna you're oh, gonna yeah, be in to. that skybox with Bonnie Hunt and Tim Kazarinsky and George Went. It's gonna happen, <laughs> man. Don't you worry. Yeah, Bill Murray's out there posted up. I know Murray's a Chicago guy, but he, you know he's liable to pop up anywhere the Cubs are. Well, that's the thing, Chicago, the whole Second City thing, you know, it's like we build comedy legends and then we send them off to L.A. or we send them off to New York, you know? Mm -hmm. But this is where they are born and built. So, of course, they are there in Los Angeles to show up. And you're right, no road team has celebrity cred to match the Dodgers in the playoffs, but the Cubs came pretty damn close. And then game four happens at Dodger Stadium. This is a big, big game because they need offense. And Zobrist, who wasn't hitting, had a bunt to start the rally. And then Addison Russell with a two-run homer. He does this sweet little bat flip thing where he sends it off to the first base side. And I remember as he rounds those bases, two fists pumping and barking to himself. It got me going. And he got the Cubs going with that big home run in, in that game four. They win it 10 to 2, going away, man. They are awake and perky. The bats are lively. They scored 10 runs in Dodger Stadium. It's 2 2 in the series. Let's go. Game five. It's 2 2 now. And John Lester doing his thing. Pitches beautifully over seven innings. He even threw out a guy at first base. He threw out Jock Peterson on a bunt, and Lester bounced the ball to Rizzo because he didn't know how to throw it to first still. But hey, we'll still. take it on a bounce. We'll take it. That's all right. And Addison Russell hit another two-run homer. He's rolling. The bats have recovered. What could go wrong? Cubs win in 3-2. earlier that they need a hero, and that is the one guy right there that can get it going for the Cubs. Russell, an elephant, just came off his back. Here's one little omen from that game, though, that we don't really remember or talk about much because we won. Aroldis Chapman gave up a run in the ninth. He gave he up two runs. He kept giving up runs. He just he just, we didn't he just kept doing it. We did notice that little moment with Chapman giving up two runs in the ninth in that game that we won. It's like in the disaster movie where they show like the, the airplane is flying and they show that lug nut screw starting to come loose. And you know we're gonna come back to that a little <laughs> later. There's it, nothing wrong. The, the the ship is fine now. The ship is perfectly sailing over the ocean, but that lug net is coming loose, and there's little droplets of ocean water starting to seep in oh, through man. those threads. Every That's time what they the bottom back, of the ninth was. Every time they cut back to the screw, it's a little more undone, right? Yeah. Just a little bit more <laughs> each time. Stop cutting to the screw. I know what's going to happen. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. So the Cubs are leading the National League Championship Series three games to two. Coming back to Wrigley, all they need is to get one win out of two days. And the gotometer starts to rise because you got an off day. Off days send it back up. But then you hit Wrigley Field with a chance to get to the World Series and I remember being there, it felt pretty damn good going into game six. I know it was still Kershaw, but still, things felt pretty good, Roy, from here. It felt good for me because you'd gone from being shut out twice to scoring 18 runs in two games. So the bats are working. It's the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago up three games to two. But it is Clayton Kershaw. You walk around downtown Chicago today, and everybody's talking about history. Is tonight going to be history? You know who doesn't care about history tonight? Better said, you know who doesn't want to be a part of history tonight? The great Clayton Kershaw. He gets the ball for the Dodgers. It's a beautiful, crisp fall night. It's one of those nights where the sweater just feels like the perfect clothing item. You're like, man, I need a sweater. I am wearing a sweater. This feels perfect here on a baseball fall evening. Cubs scored early. They scored frequently. It's 5 nothing by the fifth, and there's not a lick of drama the rest of the way with that game. It was like a slow, meticulous build towards relief. And, and in the ninth inning, it's, like a, it's a quick double play, and all of a sudden, it's over. The, the thing that I remember most from that game was the Cubs getting on Kershaw early. And by getting on him early, like, it really – and you know it's Hendricks. And Hendricks is not going to give you – he's not going to give you a lot. Like, you're not going to get a lot to hit from Hendricks is what I'm trying to say. So having a three-run lead with Kyle Hendricks on the hill going into the third inning, I'm like, oh, come on, this is good. Then by the fifth, we've got five runs. Oh, man, we're in gravy train. Pop the champagne. Let's go. Can we give it up for Kyle Hendricks for a moment? who always looks like his pulse is sitting at about what, like 74, something like that. Like he walks off slow and confident after every inning, no matter what happened, nothing rattles that dude. And he was brilliant on this night to send the Cubs to the World Series. 16-game winner Kyle Hendricks on the mound. So... We're going to do a whole episode, our next episode, with Tom Verducci, the legendary baseball writer and Fox TV broadcaster, about this moment before the World Series and what that meant for all of MLB. But look, that party on the field, this moment, this moment at Wrigley was the best. 71 years in the making, 
And you knew Wrigley was going to host a World Series. The Cubs were not some losing franchise with no hope. They knew how to win. They'd taken the next step. You know what I mean? And, and we were there. I, I took a picture of my shoes on the Wrigley Field grass that night. You know? Like... <laughs> And it felt like nobody left. Fox set up a giant stage. They gave out the trophies and interviewed people. Players are running around the field with their kids. And I'm lucky enough to be out there with my feet on that Wrigley grass. The PA has been playing Go Cubs Go and some other songs. But then the PA guy stops. The crowd is still there. They're still going. They want to keep wow. feeling the feelings, man. And they're just lingering and they don't need any prompting. They just started singing on their own. It was incredible. A bunch of people just all locked in. Just in unison. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything even close to that. Like anything, any moment where you've just all been in sync with strangers. Well, it's like Ryan Dempster said, like, hey, we all just went to Burning Man and had a great time. You know, it's like that <laughs> that communal, psychedelic, rock and roll circus feeling, but sports. It's special. <laughs> when you talk to people who were there that night, nobody even thought about leaving. And I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to work there and try to shoo people out of that building. You just give up at some point. Yeah, you just got to reopen concessions at that point. I know you're supposed <laughs> to cut people off in the seventh, but come on, man. We're balling over here. This pretzel has been under a light for seven hours. It's $30. <laughs> here you go. Yes, yes, I will take that pretzel. These fans will never forget where they were on Saturday, October 22nd, 2016. As for the first time in 71 years, the Chicago Cubs have stamped their ticket to the World Series. I think at this point, anybody on that team drinks for free in the city of Chicago. Forever. Like, what, no matter what happens in that World Series, I do believe... Just because they got there, they were going to drink for free forever. Even now, even now today, present day, Chris Coughlin could walk into a Chicago bar and go, give me my drink. And they'll go, who are you? And then he'll pull out his jersey and go, I'm Chris Coughlin, bitch. Sorry, I cursed. You have to beep that. But it doesn't matter because that's what Chris Coughlin would say. He just seems like the type of guy that would go, I'm Chris Coughlin, bitch. October 22nd, 2016. I was there. I just like that he carries his jersey around, just in case. <laughs> He's got his jersey and two Topps cards in his pocket. <laughs> Topps, the official baseball card of Major League Baseball. Get all of the Topps, Roy Virginia, part of the Allen and Ginter set this year. Hey, Chris, that'll be uh, $45 for those drinks. Oh, yeah? Do you take Topps 2016? <laughs> it's time to talk to one of the great baseball broadcasters alive, a man who sat atop all of these ball games we are discussing and saw it with that beautiful broadcaster's perspective. He saw great. every disappointment from the 98 Sosa 
to the to the Bartman to the 07s. He saw what Wood and Pryor ended up not being. He he saw the 2015 collapse. I'm very curious to know what this what this series meant to the legendary Cubs broadcaster Pat Hughes. Pat, before we get to the NLCS, I want to take you to a game during the year. I remember so clearly you at the end of that Seattle game on a Sunday night when John Lester had the walk-off bunt and Jason Hayward <laughs> with the beautiful head-first slide. I, I remember you saying something to the effect of, if the Cubs go on a winning streak, remember this night. Do you, do you remember that? Because they won 11 in a row starting with that game on a Sunday night. Matt, I remember it vividly, and I think that's a great play to begin our conversation because if there was a signature moment of that 2016 season, it might very well have been when Jason Hayward dramatically dove headfirst to the plate to score the winning run in extra innings on a crazy Sunday night game at Wrigley. The Cubs, if you recall, in that game fell behind early, I think six to nothing. And they were battling, battling, battling all night long. Finally, the Cubs in the bottom of the ninth inning were able to tie the game. And then in extra innings, John Lester comes up as a pinch hitter and is able to lay down a beautiful bunt to drive in Jason Hayward with the winning run. And I don't remember exactly what I did say at the end of that game, but I know there are games in baseball all the time. When you win, it feels a lot more than just one win. And when sometimes when you lose games, it feels like it's a lot more than just one loss. But that was definitely in the uh, much more than one win category. What do you think it was about that moment in terms of being able to create extra momentum in the season? Because it wasn't late in the season when this happened. It was one of those, hey, okay, can we, do we have the grit to actually come back when we're down? Do you think that that was one of the first times the team was able to answer that question? I think so. I think the, the team came back time and time again. And I think in any sport, uh, Roy and Matt, when when you've shown the ability early in a season to come from behind and win games, there's just a feeling among the ball players that, hey, we've been down here before. We've come back before. We're going to come back right now and win this game. And that was a a recurring theme, and there was just that feeling that they could come back. The thing I think people forget about that game as well is that in the bottom of the ninth, Contreras beat out a double play that would have essentially ended the game. Isn't it funny in baseball how sometimes the the most simple play, like a little wild pitch or uh, a wild pickoff throw or a guy hustling or a ball lost in the sun or lost in the lights – One little play in a baseball game can keep an inning alive, and the next thing you know, the next guy singles, then you get a double, then there's a walk, and then somebody hits a three-run homer. And instead of getting zero runs in the inning, you end up with six. And it was just because a ball hit a little pebble on the infield (laughs) dirt that that allowed a guy to be safe. It's, It's fascinating to me how that happens. And you never really know when those plays are going to happen. 
but you see that over and over and over. It's one of the mysteries of baseball and one of the reasons why it's so exciting and so unpredictable. Pat, we're, we're kind of, everybody we talk to are trying to figure out, when did you think they might win this thing? And for some people, maybe it was in the regular season like that. For for you, I'm wondering, did was there a moment when you had a feeling? Was it when they came back in San Francisco and, and got to the NLCS? Or was there a moment where during that year or during the playoffs where you said to yourself, I think they might actually win this whole thing? I was hesitant to go from a game in April to thinking, we're going to win the World Series. I just didn't think that way at that time, and I don't think that way now. I think as seasons go on, you get a certain feeling and you think this could be it. This could be it. Uh, I go way back to the beginning of the season, uh, Matt and Roy. The Cubs began a West Coast road trip. They started the year in Anaheim with two games and then in Arizona with four. The Cubs went five and one in those games and the only loss was in extra innings. And as I got on the plane to come home, I thought, five and one, a West Coast trip. That doesn't happen very often. So, I mean, I started thinking this could be a magical season right then. And then you, you get into other games. There were, there were big series against the Cardinals and, and, uh, the Reds and, and the Pirates and Milwaukee and the Cubs just dominated the division. And they ended up winning, going away, winning, I believe, by 16 or 17 games. But, um, you know, as far as the postseason, that's that's a whole different story. It's it's almost like a brand new season begins with your first playoff game and whatever you've done. uh, And the Cubs won, I believe, 103 games. uh, That doesn't really matter. Brand new ball games. Every team is good. Every team has confidence. Every team has good pitching, and they think they're going to go all the way. But um, if you want to discuss postseason 2016, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. So with October 16, now you have, as a quick little humble brag to yourself and the greatness that you are, called the most Cubs postseason games in the history of any Cubs broadcaster. Thank you very much. So you are an experienced person when it's what it's like to travel with the team in October from 98 to 03 to 07. A lot of those teams were 80 win teams, if I'm not mistaken. I know 07, they didn't win. They weren't winning at the same level that they were in 2015 and 2016. Traveling with the team, do you, what did that feel like in October? Was it a different energy in 2016, especially coming off of 2015 when we got swept by the Mets, which I know was a letdown, but we were still ahead of schedule per the Theo, um, the Theo experiment, for lack of a better phrase for it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how I felt in that regard. I knew I was extremely excited to be covering the Cubs in uh, the National League Championship Series back-to-back years. It was a disappointment the year before against the New York Mets, losing all four. So I was thrilled for the Cubs to get back and have another chance Uh, This one also had kind of a different feel beginning in game one. It was a well-pitched game. Uh, The Cubs and Dodgers were were close. It was tied in the bottom of the eighth inning. Miguel Montero came up and hit a pinch-hit grand slam against Joel Blanton. He hung it right in the strike zone. And Miguel Montero crushed one deep to the bleachers in right field. And Ron Coomer, my partner, said, this building is shaking. And it really was. It's almost frightening how loud, 
how loud it gets at Wrigley and the place starts rocking. It's exciting, but uh, you think, how old is this ballpark? And is the foundation sturdy? I sure hope so. <laughs> Do we even have a statement? It was one of the loudest cheers on his Grand Slam that I have ever heard. Game six felt like a coronation, Pat. The, you've got the the confidence of Hendricks on the mound, and I know it's against Kershaw, but it's two nothing, and then it's three nothing, and it's four nothing, and then it's five nothing. There were four innings of kind of coasting towards the end of that game into the World Series. It's, there wasn't a lot of tension in the game itself, right? I think, uh, Matt, that's a good point. I think Kyle Hendricks pitching had a lot to do with subduing uh, that anxiety. He was so smooth and so cool and so dominant, and that was a special moment. He's such a good guy. He's he's one of the best people and ball players uh, that the Cubs have ever had, Kyle Hendricks. So it was a special uh, game, but the crowd was so wonderful that night. The noise that they that they brought and the passion that they brought. There are games uh, where. I, I say this many times on Cubs radio. I say the fans at Wrigley, the Cub fans that come to games, they're not just part of the atmosphere. They are part of the actual ball game. They, they determine things that happen in the game. I've heard other pitchers who have pitched for both the Cubs and other teams. They say, boy, when you're a visitor here and that crowd gets roaring late in the game, you just don't feel like you're you're gripping the ball exactly the way you want. You feel like you're gripping it a little tighter and you're not getting your command. It's it's a hard thing to quantify how many games do the Cub fans allow the Cubs or help the Cubs win each year. Yeah. You cannot put a number and say it's it's six games or it's nine games or it's three. But I know it exists and there's a number out there and it probably varies from season to season. But Cub fans helped the Cubs win baseball games. And I would say they had something to do with game six of the NLCS. Uh, the early rallies, the noise. It looked like Kershaw was rattled. He didn't seem like himself. Uh, he was getting hit hard. He had a history of failure in postseason. He had to be thinking, oh, no, here I go again. But for the Cubs, it was it was wonderful. It was it was something that I had waited my whole life for, uh, for them to win the National League pennant. And uh, I, I just was so thrilled to be able to make the final call. And I, I don't, I think ground ball to ground ball to Russell. He'll go to Baez. The throw to first. The Cubs are going to the World and Series. Hit a ground ball towards short. Russell goes to Baez. One over to first. The Cubs win the pennant, and then I just, then I just was quiet for about 25 seconds. I just wanted to soak it all in. But I was actually very emotional too, and I, I'm, I was worried that my voice would crack if I tried to say anything else. And then I'll tell you what was really cool. Right after uh, that moment, uh, they handed me somebody handed me a sheet that said. Uh, World Series Game 1, Tuesday night in Cleveland, time to be determined. And I almost lost it. I mean, I almost started just 
um, wow. you know, crying literally when I saw that. Man still making thunderous noise. I can barely hear myself talk. I may not be making any sense at all right now, Ron, but it doesn't even matter. It really doesn't. And just to be able to say, the National League champion Chicago Cubs was a great experience for me. Uh, and then I was able to get through it. And uh, my great partner, Ron Coomer, and I, we had fun just watching the fans. And um, But the, the, the roar of the crowd on the final out at Wrigley is is just something I'll never forget. What an experience. Pat, that's that's so great. The uh, uh it, it, as they were doing the celebration, you remember seeing the makeshift stage get set up there and people running around. Do you remember do you remember seeing Chad Noble in a speedo and uh and a scuba mask and a swim cap <laughs> and that is it. That's all he was wearing as he made a way around the field. It was, I, I, I don't know how long you stayed up there in the booth, but tell us some of the sights you remember from just looking down on the entire scene. You know what I remember? I remember how respectful the fans were, as excited as they had to be, and as understandable as it would have been if they would have run onto the field. They were very respectful. The Cub fans, they realized that the Cub ball players. And their families, uh, it, it was their special time to celebrate. Uh, and so they were on the field. But the Cub fans, if you go back and watch the video, there was a lot of security around. But there, there's always security around. That doesn't stop fans in a lot of parks from just going crazy and going out and ripping up the field and grabbing pieces of whatever. But the, the Cub fans were, were very sweet, I thought. They, I... they let the players celebrate. Uh, they let the players do their thing. Uh, the fans didn't go anywhere. They just kind of stayed around and soaked up uh, the atmosphere. They do that even for a regular season game when it's a real special win. This night, uh, the fans stayed around for about a half hour. And I stayed in the booth for a good 30 minutes, just soaking it all in and just uh, wondering, you know, I was hoping that I had done my job properly as a as a Cubs radio announcer, I, I was thinking, geez, I hope that, um, you know, what I did was representative and I hope it was good enough. And, you know, what could I have done differently? What could I have said differently? But I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I did the best that I could and, and I had to live with okay. that. And, and I, I, I am happy with that. But also Len Casper was on the field doing our post game, uh, radio interviews. And somehow, Lenny, in all the excitement, he got a hold of Joe Madden, who was emotional. You can hear it in his voice. He got a hold of Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. And he had each of them <clears throat> talk about each other. And it is just great radio what Len Casper was able to create. Beautiful, Pat. That's beautiful. Brother, we can't thank you enough for coming on with us. And we hope to see you at another Cubs parade very soon. Thank you, sir. See you, Matt. See you, Roy. Thank you. Okay, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. So, look, we touched on some of the iconic images from that night when they made it to the World Series. But another one, if you watch the videos, is this very dramatic raising of the W flag on the left side of the scoreboard above the bleachers at Wrigley. And that white flag with a big blue W, people say, fly the W, and it was definitely a phrase, 
and tradition you have heard a lot throughout that fall, but it's actually a very old Cubs tradition, which still has resonance today. I thought this was something recent that they just started doing, like, 2015. You know, I wouldn't—how like, can I say this nicely? There's a lot of sports marketing happening with a lot of franchises now where teams have started new goofy traditions that are just a way to make the game more interactive for the fans. And I thought this W flag— I, I didn't like it at first because I didn't. It didn't. It wasn't something that was aware to me to like 2014 or 15. It's kind of like the Go Cubs Go song. Like that had to grow on me too. Because like, what is this? And they're like, Oh no, they've always done that. It's been around. It's just now getting some level of publicity and exposure. Well, when you're that, a fr- yeah, when you're a franchise that's been around since well before the 1900s, there is the chance for some authenticity and some actual <laughs> traditions and, and and genuinely cool, connective things that fans have been a part of for years. And Wrigley has that. I mean, the rooftops across the street in left field on Waveland and in right field on Sheffield Avenue that... You know, you can go and sit on those rooftops and watch a ball game. And now they've been corporatized and the Ricketts own it, the ownership owns it. But it's still, still it is, a, it's a remarkably cool and... Still a good hang. It's still a good hang. And Wrigley has always been a great hang. They, they one of my buddies, um, he, he was explaining to me that basically with those W flags, like they would fly the L flag as well when they lost... But that was to let people on the train passing by know what the score of the game was. That like that was basically a sports ticker. That flag <laughs> was an old school pre cell phone sports ticker to just let strangers know the outcome of the game. I was like, oh, once he broke it down, I, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, can you imagine that? Yeah. Like, oh, I live up at Irving Park. I'm gonna hop on the train and see <laughs> if they won or lost the game. That's the only way I can find out. <laughs> you gotta get on the train. I got one of those fly the W flags as a gift uh, from the Cubs organization uh, back in 2015 and during the run in 2016. And my humble little Manhattan fourth floor apartment, I hung that damn flag. I flew that W. Even on days we lost, I still fly the W just to intimidate you. <laughs> just make you think that we're better than what we are. I don't think everyone knew what it was, but the people who knew, knew, and if they saw me in the window, they'd honk the horn. Cubs fans are weird like that. See, that's awesome, because that W flag all over Chicagoland in the suburbs, people in their front yards with giant W flags. And there are tons of Cub fans everywhere who will put up that W flag if they won during the course of a game it's in the regular the, season. It's the closest thing we have to a Steelers terrible towel. And I think it's just as it has the same level of notoriety, I think. What I love at the games is when opposing fans like Cards fans, they'll bring an L flag. And if the Cubs lose, the card fans will hold up an L. They'll fly the L for us, not realizing the Cubs had an L flag. Hey, we lost today. We're not ashamed. Yeah. We're not ashamed that we lost. Well, I'll tell you. And that just reinforces, frankly, the stupidity of St. Louis, which Chicagoans really love to point out every chance we get. So, so Roy, apparently our producer, Justin Kaufman, has a story about the L flag. About the W flag, it, I was a budding entrepreneur. You know that about me. You know, I have startups mm-hmm. all over the place. 
And I wanted to create a W app where when a Cubs would win, you would put the W up and it would shine like on your, almost like, a you know, illuminated on your phone and you could put it up in the L, in the subway or wherever it is, you know. Nice. And we did all of it. We put it all together. We did working together with some people, some, some text, some app, all the whole things. And we got a cease and desist before it went through, like on Apple. Like Apple, it was like, you know, you can't. It was Major League Baseball. Wow. Major League Baseball said, you cannot do that. That is a trademark. The W is a trademark Chicago Cubs thing. And I was like, you can trademark a letter in the alphabet? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, that, that, and I was like, what if we just changed the color? Like, what if we made it like red, like not blue and white? And they still were like, no, that is, we will, we will, we will lawyer up if you like try to mess with that. McDonald's McDowell's from coming to America. <laughs> oh no, this is not the cubby bear. This is bear the cub. <laughs> so, yes. so this is how entrenched the W is in cubdom, is that they have it trademarked and they kept poor old Justin from making a dime on an app. Well, that's your fault for not being more innovative, bro. You could have flown two Vs for victory, victory, and put a little space between the Vs. Where were you? Where were you when he really needed you, Roy? Hang on a second. Let me call some of my app investors real quick. I think I got a good idea to make a little bit of money here real quick. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. And from here on out, it's all World Series. Roy, we get to go deep into the World Series and live in that madness. Yes! <laughs> and we're going to talk with someone who had a front row seat to it, the homie Tom Verducci, the famed baseball writer. And and he wrote the book with the access from Theo and everybody involved about the whole thing. So Verducci knows his stuff better than anybody. Can't wait for that. The Run is a production of Odyssey in partnership with Major League Baseball. Jody Avergan of Roulette Productions is our executive producer. Justin Kaufman is senior producer. Mixing by Joanna Ketcher at Nice Matters. Our theme song is a cover of Steve Goodman's Go Cubs Go by Chicago's very own The Hood Internet. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley and Mike D. at Odyssey and Nick Trotta at Major League Baseball. Mitch Rosen, Dustin Hapley, and Russ Matera and everybody else at 670 The Score. Also to everyone at Odyssey and Major League Baseball who helped make this happen. And special thanks to Domingo Ramos. Yeah. And Jeff Blauser. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word. Howard Johnson, we love you. We'll be back soon with more of The Run. <laughs>